Hello, and welcome to A History of Alexander the Great, episode 19, Through Thick and Thin. In our last episode, we saw Alexander's luck in battle finally run out, when he was almost killed assaulting a town of the Malians. Today, we rejoin him, sulking. He was annoyed with his friends for blaming him personally for his near-death experience. Arian suggests he was sulking because he knew they were right. So, what was going on in the war then? Alexander was chasing down the Malians and the Oxydrachai when Alexander was injured. So, what did they do? Well, they surrendered. Both of them. Well... That was that. Alexander continued his advance down the Hydratos until it merged with the Aeacenes, and then sailed down that until it merged with the Indus. Once at the junction of the Aeacenes and the Indus, he waited for Perdiccas to reunite with him. Perdiccas had been subduing the Abastanti. Other tribes continued to submit themselves, namely the Zathri, and the Osadians. Alexander also requested a world-famous city, one of the many Alexandrias, to be built there by the governor of the province before moving on. He soon made his way to the kingdom of Musicanus, who had yet to pledge his submission, ignoring Alexander. Alexander thus surprised him, having advanced down the river remarkably quickly. Musicanus quickly submitted himself, offering numerous gifts, including elephants. Alexander forgave him. In fact, the territory would be used as a base to control the other Indians. Alexander continued gaining control of the other Indians. He then advanced onto the land of a foe of Musicanus, Sambus. Sambus fled from his capital but he left his relatives to tell Alexander Sambus had not fled out of opposition to Alexander, but out of alarm that he had allied with Musicanus. After putting down a revolt led by some Brahims and executing the leaders, Sambus seems to have been right to question Alexander's alliance with Musicanus, as Musicanus went into revolt, but this was quickly put down and Musicanus was executed. At this point, Alexander divided his forces in two. Craterus would lead a portion of the army overland through Aracosia and Zarangia, eventually reuniting near the Straits of Hormuz, while the main force would be led by Alexander himself and Hephaestion down the Indus. The advance was quite swift, and they soon found themselves at a point, Patala, where the Indus divides in two. Alexander began to advance down the right-hand channel, with a small force, before he moved the majority of his army, but he didn't make it very far. Fierce winds forced his ships to run aground. This wasn't too bad, though. Had they stayed on the river much longer, it is likely the boats would have simply fallen apart. New ships were built, guides were acquired from the prisoners, and a second attempt was made. This was more successful, until they got close to the mouth of the Indus. 
as well as being caught in more strong winds, Alexander was caught off guard by the tide, which went out and left the boats stranded. This was fine for the boats which had landed in soft mud and were able to set off once the tide came back in, but not so good for those who settled on sharp rocks. The crew either fell out when the tide came back in, or the boats were smashed into the rocks. Alexander continued moving downstream, reaching the island of Siluta. It was a good location for him to camp his army. It was a large island with shelter and fresh water. Alexander carried on, an expedition for the expeditionary force, if you will. Alexander wanted to see the ocean, and did. 25 miles from Seleucia, he found another island in the open ocean. He then sailed back to Seleucia, made sacrifices to gods he claimed Ammon had told him to sacrifice to. Then he sailed to the second island beyond the mouth of the Indus, and offered another sacrifice to other gods, with a different ritual than the first. He then sailed into the ocean, sacrificed to Poseidon, deposing the bodies of the slaughtered bulls into the ocean, then sailed back to Patala, where a fortress had now been constructed, and he ordered Hephaestion to fortify the harbour and to install docks. Arian wonders whether Alexander was planning to make this a permanent base for his fleet. If Alexander had lived longer, I think it's quite likely that he would have returned east, and this could well have been a base for the fleet. Alexander now launched a second expedition down the other branch of the Indus. He wanted to find out which of the two would be the easier for the fleet to travel down. He soon made his way to the ocean. It was a much easier route than the first. The mouths were 225 miles apart, according to Nearchus, but Aristobulus says they were 125 miles apart. He had a small explore of the area around the mouth for a few days before heading back, constructing another harbour and docks built on the river, and left four months of supplies there with a garrison, and made every preparation he could for the voyage to the coast. If it could, I'm sure the fleet would have sailed for the ocean straight away, but it couldn't due to the monsoon, a southerly wind, meaning that it blew from the south to the north. This meant that he couldn't sail until conditions improved in early November, so Alexander set off with a portion of his army on foot and left the fleet behind to sail when conditions improved. There were two main reasons for Alexander's march on land. One, he wanted to make wells for the fleet. And two, to subjugate the Orite, an Indian tribe who had yet to submit to him. This was achieved quite quickly, and then he began his march into Gedrosia. Gedrosia, in Alexander's day, spanned from the mouth of the Indus to the Straits of Hormuz. Any of you familiar with this area of the globe will know it is a desert. One great big desert. There is hardly any water. There is hardly any food. 
It was very hot, and travel had to be done at night. This was not a place you wanted to lead an army. This is why, in fact, before Alexander's day, no army had safely crossed the Gedrosian Desert. Alexander wanted to be the first to lead an army across. Why? Because it was there. His men trudged their way through the worst of the desert, sending a party to the coast to see what could be of use to the fleet. They found little. After they found an area with some supplies, Alexander sent it, officially sealed, to the coast for the fleet. But the men risked incurring Alexander's wrath and ate it. Their current predicament of greater concern than Alexander's anger. Alexander did pardon them, though, upon realising how desperate they were. Alexander did make it through the desert. He took the Gedrosian capital and made it into Carmania, where he reunited with Craterus. Alexander was the first to safely lead an army across the Gedrosian desert. It was said Cyrus had crossed it, and only seven had survived. It was said Cyrus had intended to invade India, but was forced back by the desert. Alexander had beaten him. But this glory hides the disaster that the journey was. The sixty-day march was a disaster that should not have happened. There were many casualties, both man and animal. They got caught in the sand, which was deep and burning. There was barely any water, and they had no idea where what little water existed was. Sometimes they would march through the night and find water in the morning, which was good. But other times there would not be water. They would be forced to continue in the baking heat, exhausted. The men were forced to kill the transport animals for food, something Alexander turned a blind eye to. But once they had done this, there was the problem of transporting their equipment, which was made harder by the wagons continually breaking. The army had to keep moving. Those who could not stand the pace, due to dehydration, exhaustion, or sunstroke, were left behind to die. No one helped. No one could help. The army had to survive. When they found water, things were no better. Men flung themselves at it, drinking as much as they could, drinking fatal levels. Forcing Alexander to stop a few miles from the water to control his men. Another time they found a stream, only to be hit by a flash flood from rains upstream. The camp followers, women, children, the royal tent, were all swept away. Only the troops survived with their weapons. Sometimes not even those. Alexander suffered as the men did. He too marched on foot with them, encouraging them. There is a report that he turned down water as there was only enough for him to drink. But this may not be true, as I reported a similar anecdote that took place in Central Asia. I think this is unlikely that it happened twice. 
It may have happened once, but I'm unsure on which journey. It is, though, equally possible that it didn't happen at all and is a complete piece of fiction. The going was rough. Sometimes the men got lost. The guides were unfamiliar with travelling by the stars, and they had to find the coast at least once to give them an idea where they were. So, what was the cost? We are unsure, but using Nearchus's statement that Alexander had 120,000 fighting men at the start of his voyage down the Hydaspes, modern estimates are that anything from eight to 70,000 troops died on this march. Remember to visit us online at thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com Send me an email at thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com and join us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube and Tumblr, links to all of which can be found on the website. Thanks to Peter John Ross for the music, and thanks to you for listening. Join us next time when we take Alexander to the heart of his empire. <laughs>